I mean, I had two male CEOs, which I won't say their names, although I'd love to, tell me I would never be successful, you know? And honestly, that, if you think about what Coco Goff just said, thank God, because those kind of people are the people that like push you to do it. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Hey everyone, it's Danielle. Today, our guest is Joey Wolfer. I feel like I should have some like wine and a a great like equestrian themed cute outfit on hand. But uh, that is because Joey is the chief brand officer and co-owner of Wolfer Estate Vineyard, an award-winning and beloved winery on Long Island. You've probably seen their famous rosé, definitely probably have had it, Summer in a Bottle, or their ciders on shelves near you. Wolfer Estate was founded by Joey's father, and today she and her brother continue the family business and have made their own mark on the vineyard. They've expanded to produce spirits and open restaurant concepts, and they're one of the biggest employers on Long Island. When she's not making wine, Joey is also focused on fashion. She spent years in the fashion industry and has a retail site and store called Joey Wolfer that sells unique women's fashion and accessories. Joey, welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Oh, that was such a warm welcome. I was like, who's she talking about? Oh, it's me. <laughs> We'd like to do the bragging for everyone. Yeah, it's so embarrassing to do yourself. So I love that. Thank you. Great. I sound really fancy. You do. We're going to get into that. Yeah. So we're going to do a warm up. We'd like to start with a lightning round. Quick questions, quick answers. You ready? <gasps> yes. Go. First job you got paid for? Hostessing at a restaurant. Same. I was really bad at it. Really. I, I waved at a customer who waved at me. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Pretty funny. <laughs> What's your favorite place to travel? I would say Italy. I love Italy. I went a lot as a kid and I just started taking my own kids and the food, the people, history, art. There's pretty much nothing I don't love about it. What's your go-to drink? Rosé, duh. <laughs> well... Now I can ask, is the rosé cider or wine? Rosé wine. I love our ciders, but I'm more of a wine person. So I'm more of a wine person as well, but I actually do really like your ciders. Good job. Me too. Thanks. I cannot take responsibility for making them. That is all Roman. But branding, I can do. What is one word someone would use to describe you? Passionate. When's the last time you negotiated for yourself? Like 30 seconds ago. How do you chill out? I have to go away from my life. I have to do something that's not in my home or in my area. I have to be away from it all. What is the best tip you have for picking wine out in a store? For me, region, depending on what you're drinking. I think knowing what regions are good at different types of wine is really important. What's one product you can't live without? Probably seltzer. I love seltzer. Oh. That's a really good answer. Yeah. Not hard seltzer, by the way. We're talking about like just regular seltzer. Yeah. Flavored or plain? Plain. I love the blue LaCroix. Perfect. 
What's the last show you binge watched? Never Have I Ever. So good. Oh, I'm still watching it. Like every time my husband falls asleep, I'm like on my phone watching it. I'm obsessed. What is the worst piece of advice you've gotten? I remember when I met with a male CEO when I was starting my fashion business and he said, you have a one in a million chance of making it and I think you should give up now. (laughs) It's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And come work for me. And I was like, I'm good. Thank you. Yeah. I'm good. Final lightning round question. What is the most used app on your phone? Probably Instagram. I do like Instagram. Okay. Let's get into it. Tell me about the family business. Did you ever think you'd be where you are now? No, I really thought I was going to be a designer, a fashion designer, an artist. As soon as I left Vanderbilt, I went to London. I had a terrible boyfriend and I needed to escape him. So I moved to London and ended up working for a jewelry designer there as an intern twice a week. And the woman really liked me. And obviously I was cheap because I was right out of college. So she fired the designer and was like, do you want to be my designer? So I was immediately sent into this role full time as a designer for this brand. And I worked with all the high street brands, which was like Miss Selfridges and Urban Outfitters and Topshop and all the like the big chains in the UK. And it was like the best job ever. And I loved it. Then from that, was able to go back to New York and get any kind of job I wanted in, in design and, and fashion and ended up working for a couple um, manufacturers of jewelry. And then in the end, the Jones Group, and I did their trend and I was a um, design director there as well. And then my dad died and my whole world was like, he always wanted me to do my own thing. He always was like, it's great that you're 26 and you're in a director, but I actually think like you're only going to feel happy when you do something for yourself. And I kind of was a little angry towards that because I thought like, why can't you just be proud of where I am at this point? Like I am, you know, but in retrospect, like I couldn't now never go back to working for anybody. And I understand what his point was. I never dreamed of being in wine. I didn't want to be in wine and I wanted to be in New York and I wanted to be in fashion. So that's when I started the style liner. And, you know, I remember it very well. My husband and I was New Year's the year after my dad died. And I said, we're not going to be doing the same thing this time next year. We can't continue leading these lives where we're both really unhappy. And when I quit to my boss at Jones, she's probably the woman in my life who has always like been such a mentor and always supported me. I've found that in my career in fashion, particularly that I haven't ever found a female mentor. And so she said to me like, Joey, like, I want you to stay. I adore you. I adore working with you, but I know this isn't the right place for you. And I like will support you in whatever you do. And she kept me employed as a trend sort of consultant for a year. She was amazing. And I remember that moment. And at the same time, you know, the estate was getting settled and they were figuring it out with my, and my dad's business, my brother was going to buy me out. And I had this like kind of pain in my, like, it felt like I was being stabbed. I really couldn't face not being a part of this. And then also thinking of my future and my husband and my mom, they sat me down and they were like, you don't want to sell. I remember I was like, I don't know, 28 and I had like a major hangover. And I was like, this is a lot to take right now. And it was like a Saturday morning. It's like, what are you talking about? They're like, you don't want to sell. And you have talked to your brother about it. And I did. And he was amazing. And he said, it would be like the greatest gift in the world to work with you. And 10 years later, we were working together and my husband's the CEO. And Roman is our partner and winemaker of 31 years. And built a brand. So many things I want to talk about. I want to start with what 
had the plan been? Like, obviously, your father passed away unexpectedly. Was your brother going to take over? Was there any talk of that? Or was this a moment? No, he always said to us, my dad is, I have like so much wonderful memories, but like very honestly, he said like, none of you can handle this. And it was, wasn't the kindest thing. He was going to maybe donate it to a charity. I don't know. He never, ever intended on us taking over. I don't think he thought we could. And, and, you know, in the end, it's a little challenging in our relationship and memory of him, but he, you know, he had this incredible vision and it took a lot to make it happen. He struggled at running the business because he would just put money in when it needed money and he wouldn't like treat it like a proper business. So when we took it over, we said, we need to make this a real business that works and that feeds our family. And that's really like the year when it started to make money. Go back to that moment where you say, you know, to to your husband, kind of on the the one year mark, that our lives are going to look different. Did you know you were unhappy before that? You know, I really struggled in the corporate world because I came from two European parents who were always like, "Just be you, like, be creative, travel, laugh at yourself." Like that's how I was raised. So I went into the the boarding school world, and I was like, um, I am like really different from everybody else, and so. In the corporate world, I was very much myself. And I had a a French man who was the fashion director. And then I had this woman who was the trend director. And they both like really, really championed me. And a lot of people within the company like were horrible to me. I mean, I had a woman in my trend department and I remember her so well. We were sitting eating lunch and she got up and left. And and actually my dad had just passed away and she's, I said, what, what's wrong? And she's like, I don't like you. I don't like that you think you can be who you are in this company. I just want you to shut up. And I was like, and I had that from like several people within the corporate world. And I was like, I'm not going to play the corporate game. If they want to promote me, I'm going to be promoted. I don't want to roll over for these people because of the hierarchy. You know, I'm who I am. So I didn't fit in. And I knew that I didn't fit in. And I really struggled with that, but I was trying to, you know? And so that's was for me, I was just like, I'll work my ass off because I'm a very hard worker, but I can't be like in this with these people anymore. I don't fit in. One of the interesting things I I found about grief is a lot of the kind of like expert advice that you get when you're grieving is like, don't make any big decisions for a while. Like certainly like that year or so mark feels like too soon. Yeah. I struggle with that because like I kind of get it, but I also think it's sometimes the most clarifying point to kind of understand what really matters. You decided to make a big decision that ended up not just affecting you, but your whole family. How do you think about that? The good news about being young at at that point and not having had my kids or my husband is that I only was looking after myself, you know, at that point. And I didn't have like, I always say, I say this to my husband a lot, like I could never have started a business now. Like it would be so much harder now because there's so much more responsibility and also like a lifestyle that you get used to. I mean, I was like living in a small apartment. I knew I was going to figure it out. So it was a different time. And I agree with you. Like for me, it was like enlightening. I'm like, you have no idea. I mean, my dad was killed in a boating accident. He was run over by a boat. Like, how do you know that's going to happen to you? You have no idea. You know, your life could be like this. And so therefore any decision that you feel is really a good one or the right one for you, you should just go for it. You know, and I had, you know, to start my style liner business, I had this $150,000 that I had gotten from the sale of my dad's furniture to my brother who bought the house. So in that sale, I said, I'm going to start this business with this $150,000 and hopefully I can make it happen. There are two things I find really crazy about your story. 
The first is that you started kind of like two things at the same time. So you had the fashion side of the business, Styleliner, which is now turned into to Joey Wolfer. Yeah. And then you also had the the wine making estate part of the business. Talk to me about the timeline. Like, were these two things that you started? Because when I look at it, I'm like, wait, were you doing all of these things at the same time? Like, you totally threw yourself into chaos. I always throw myself into chaos and I thrive in chaos, which is crazy. But I'm, it's funny because I've like faced a lot of like crazy things this year. And it, they've all like, every time I'm in the chaos, I do this like moment of shutting down and like, no, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And I always figure it out. And I think I was so in it and I was so obsessed with making it work. Probably a little bit ego, like to prove that I could do it. And all these people telling me I couldn't do it. I mean, I had two male CEOs, which I won't say their names, although I would love to tell me I would never be successful, you know? And honestly, that like, if you think about what Coco Goff just said, like, thank God, because like those kind of people are the people that like push you to do it. And I, I had to have a business that I thought I could make money in because the wine business wasn't making money. I wasn't going to make a salary from that. And every penny that I was going to make, I would have to give back to my brother because he loaned me money to buy my sister out, you know? So I needed to make that business work because in my mind at that time, like this was going to be, the winery was going to be like a novelty in a way, right? It was going to be like, yes, part of my legacy and yes, the value of the land would always go up, but I didn't think I would make a business of it the way we have. Let's talk about that because I want to get into the the business of winemaking. What I think is astonishing about what you've done is you've created a brand that is synonymous with a feeling. And it's like, you know, sitting outside, summer starting, you're relaxing. And that's what I think about summer in a bottle. You are the brand person behind this. How did you begin to tackle what you said was left as kind of like a a side project. Money was put in when it was needed, but there really wasn't a viable business there. I think that the best thing that happened to us was Summer in a Bottle, which was based on an idea, which was based on my friend saying that Wolfer, when we took over, we love Wolfer. Wolfer is Summer in a Bottle. And I was like, that's a great ad campaign. So we made the ad campaign, you know, and then we're like, Roman was like, well, that would make a really cool bottle. So then we made the bottle. And then the cider was at the exact same time as well. And these were all ideas that came out of naivete. We're just kind of going with it. And we're starting these products. And we started somewhere in a bottle. And it sold out in a month. I mean, maybe three weeks. And we're like, okay, we think we're on to something. And of course, you know, the rosé trend was taking off. Whispering Angel like had just kind of really, you know, made the mark. And that helped us with them becoming so huge and making rosé so huge. And I think... A lot of it comes with chance, but also like being willing to take risks. And, you know, we had a great foundation. And so we had this testing place to try these products. And so when we made these products and they took off and cider had like a 300% growth year on year on year on year on, of course, it's a little bit flattened out now, but it's still growing. And so those two products at the same time put us on the map in a major way. And just the fact that people were coming out here and younger people, I think it was a little bit like luck too, timing. And again, like everything I do, I don't love failure, but I'm not afraid of it. And I'm not afraid to say this didn't work out and let's move on. You know, that's what happens. How do you kind of square for yourself the two lines kind of that I'm hearing in your story? One is that, you know, you are living a family business and carrying it into 
success. And at the same time, you're also carving out your own space. How do you think about that, especially when it comes to branding? I feel really lucky that this can be my focus and that my, you know, my brother's amazing with strategy and, you know, wine and allocations and, and, and Max is like an incredible CEO and Roman is an amazing winemaker that I can really like keep us focused on brand. I have an incredible team, probably the best team I've ever had. And in terms of like events, PR, marketing, that whole, like we're really built out in that, which we maybe weren't in the past and we can really focus on that. And it's honestly, like I say this all the time. Everybody wants to be something for everyone. And I just want to stay very true to our brand and what we represent, which is like summer. And rosé is, is an all-year product. But we really want to give you the feeling that you're always in summer. And I really, I think that the, the brand is playful. We can laugh at ourselves. We're quality. We're sustainable. But the price doesn't knock you off your feet. It's aspirational for some people. But it's just a product that should bring you joy. And I think we stay really focused on that. And we're not like, let's be a hard seltzer rosé. We're not that, you know, we know we're not that. So we stick to what we know and we're good at that. When we started this interview, you made a joke about being fancy. And I think what's really interesting is that the wine industry is not known for being accessible or relatable. And there is a certain, I think, you know, cliche that could have come from the fact that you guys are a uh, vineyard base in the Hamptons, which also has its its own kind of like yeah. stuffiness or not being for everyone. And yet Wolfer, I think, is something that has like the fact that it's a, a summer rosé has cut across that. How did you think about that from a brand perspective? Like, did you guys always have a, a target audience in mind? You know what? I have to say, I think we at the core, I think about like how it was raised too. Cause I think that's very much like who we are and who we like encourage our employees to be as well. Like I was always raised that like, you're not better than anybody. Everybody's the same. And that's how we want it. Like as an establishment, we want everyone to feel comfortable here. Like we don't ever want you to feel that this is VIP. And of course we want you to have the best experience. But if you go to our wine stand, it's a huge cross section of people who are there and all walks of life. And they're all sitting on the lawn and nobody has priority. Everybody's sitting there. Everyone has to wait in the line. And you don't have to like have a table and you don't have to have be a billionaire to be there. You know, you are there to enjoy nature, to enjoy the, the vineyard and to enjoy the products. You work with not only your brother, but your husband too. How do you stay sane and married and like show up at family dinners? I, I don't know how people work with family. And I love my family. How, how honest should I be? <laughs> how, how honest should I be here right now? Go for it. I will take the opportunity to be honest. There was a long time that I was totally fine. And as I get older and I'm like defending my family a bit more because they're, they're older as well and I see the future a bit more, it's definitely gotten tougher for me. And then I, you know, would maybe like take my issues home with me and then that causes problems in my marriage. And I know that like, it's me too, you know, I'm an Aries, I'm intense, I'm passionate, I'm very stubborn about like what I believe in. So I started working with an executive coach who I kind of think is a little bit of therapist too, but it, it works in terms of work. And I'm working with her a lot to like, when I feel like all the feelings rather than like launching into a WhatsApp or an email or a reaction, I'm like dealing with those better because I think it is really tough and it gets tougher as you get bigger. And then obviously obstacles arise as you get bigger and then it all spins a little bit. 
And I don't want that because I don't have a very big family. I have my immediate family. I don't have a huge relationship with my family outside of that. And so I don't want to sacrifice that. So I think it's really important to work on myself a lot of the time. You guys are one of the biggest employers on Long Island. How do you think about that responsibility? I'm really proud of it. We worked really hard last year on getting the Affordable Housing Act passed. And like, you know, that's something that I think about a lot. I think it's a really hard time to employ people out here and to keep up with salaries so that people can live out here. We had the best team ever. And a lot of these people we've had for a long time. And we really try to promote from within as well. I'm proud of it. You know, I'm, I'm proud that people can live a great life because this is a wonderful place to live with great schools and great people. But it's hard to find a job that sustains you. I'm curious about how you think about working in, well, hospitality, but also specifically in kind of the wine and alcohol business. Being a woman, we've actually had a bunch of, of women in alcohol and spirits, and it's been interesting to hear their experiences as they kind of become both this generation and the one before it standouts in what was definitely a male-dominated industry. It's still a male-dominated industry. It's funny because when you meet with their distributors or you, and I, I'll be the first in a meeting to call out if there's no woman in the room because, you know, we're very targeted at females, you know, with, especially with the rosé. With the other products, less, but with the rosé, we're very targeted females. And I think it's going to be an uphill battle for a while. I mean, women make the biggest decisions in the home, right? So women decide what goes home, the wine they drink, the beer they drink, the beverages that come home. So I actually, you know, I think we're powerful, but we still have a lot of work to do. You still have to scream from the mountaintops when you want to be heard. What does it look like when you call someone out? It's almost like somebody is taking over me, but there's no way I can stop myself, especially with that stuff. And I do it in a playful way. Like my husband's like, you have such an art at doing that. But I like refuse to not do it. How can you sell a brand? Like if you have salespeople who are only men and they're selling a rosé, like how can you sell a brand that's so targeted towards females? Like you need to have a female view in there. You know, you need to celebrate the woman. I always say like, use me as that, you know, like I am one of the few women in wine, use me towards that. You know, I really feel like I don't like to hold back because I also think like I'm setting up my girls for their future as well. What do you want your legacy, your part of, of the Wolfer legacy to be? I think about that a lot. I do a lot outside of my work too, because I don't want to only be remembered for having created a a great brand, but only around alcohol. And I want to really be remembered for like the good I do for, for our community and for, for kids and for kids that don't have the opportunity my own kids have. That's an important legacy for me. I just started with a group of friends, like a, a Moms Demand Action group within the Sag Harbor community. I just joined the board of the Parish Art Museum um, with a real focus on bringing the community in and bringing access to, to kids who don't necessarily have access. I want to use the power that I'm getting from, from creating this brand and being you know, getting a voice in the community for good. Like that for me is the most important thing to be remembered for. Not in, oh, look at me. Like I'm going to fancy parties all the time. That's not what I want to be remembered for. I've got two final questions. To end the show, we're going to ask you a question our newsletter audiences are dying to know. What is your best piece of negotiating advice and how do you actually put it into action? I think that what I'm learning as I get older too is that there's a lot to be said in compromising and also bringing to the table that what other people want as well. So when you want something really badly for yourself, make sure that you also bring something to the table that's attractive for the deal. And I, I think like, don't ever accept no, like make it work. 
and give in when you need to give in and then stand up for yourself when you don't, you know, when there are places when you're like, I'm not giving in on this, but I will give in on this. Like I try to think of that before I make a deal. What, what am I willing to give in this? For example, I just lost my space in Sag Harbor, my store space. And it was because they are doubling the rent, which is unfortunately happening across the country. And so I had to really think to myself, how am I going to handle this? Am I giving up on my fashion, which really brings me a lot of creativity and joy? Or am I going to compromise and maybe move to another town? So then I was like, okay, I'm going to move to another town. And then I thought, like, I, I can't see myself in another town. And then an opportunity came, but it was a one-year opportunity. And I was like, oh, I can't, what, to move to a space for one year? Like, is that worth it? So I said to my friend who had put me in contact, I said, tell the guy that I will only do it for two years. And then in that two years, I can make a decision about whether I buy a building or find a new space. And he came back to me and he agreed on two years. And in the end, like he wins because he gets an immediate tenant and I win because I get what I want for two years. So I'm not winning the whole thing, right? I don't get my dream, but I get something to get me to the next step. And I think it's compromising. Final question. Who's someone else we should have on this show? I actually am going to nominate my other beverage babe friend. And we actually started our own Instagram beverage babes, but have done nothing with it. And we are going to, don't worry. But her name is Emily Unki. And she is the co-founder of Aplos, which is a adaptogen gin, non-alcoholic gin. So she's amazing. And I love her. And she's also a local Sag Harbor mom too. Yes. We will follow up if you can introduce us because we love having this show be referral based. And I also was just talking about that I don't know what adaptogen drinks mean. So I am I am all for this. I'm very excited. I think you should still drink wine. I will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no danger in that. Joey, thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account, I promise. <laughs> <laughs>